Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, it's Anna. We've been hearing from a lot of you recently about what this show has meant to you during the past year and during our show's seven-year history. This past seven years, one constant has been, you know, the podcast. This listener, Daniel, from Colorado, has been listening since we launched in 2014. He's written into our inbox along the way to talk about grief, therapy, a breakup, and masculinity. I just wanted to say thank you again for pushing hard conversations. Discovering Death, Sex, and Money helped me a lot. Death, Sex, and Money is not just a podcast. It's a community of listeners who share and learn from each other. We hope that this show has helped you make choices, understand people better, and have those important conversations in your life. And if Death, Sex, and Money has been helpful to you, and you have the resources available, I'm asking you to please make a financial contribution to Death, Sex, and Money today. We cannot make this show without our listeners pitching in and supporting us. And as we come to the end of our fiscal year, we're asking you all to please donate now. The very best way to give is to become a Death, Sex, and Money sustaining member. It helps us plan, and it allows you to just give a little at a time. If you sign up at the $10 a month level, we'll send you a copy of my new book, Let's Talk About Hard Things. You can also give $120 all at once and get a copy of the book. Either way, you'll get an invite to a virtual gathering later this summer to talk about the book after we've all read it. Now, I realize that's more than the book costs at a bookstore, but if you get your copy this way, you'll also be supporting the work of our entire team and the future of this show. And if you became a member this spring and already have your copy of the book, look out for an invite coming your way soon. So support us now by going to deathsexmoney.org donate. Or you can just text the letters DSM to the number 70101. Or again, go to deathsexmoney.org donate. And speaking of talking about hard things, that's what today's episode is all about. Your stories about the conversations that you've had or need to have about some of the most difficult topics in your life. So a heads up, this episode discusses sexual assault and suicide. I had spent my whole middle school, high school years, college years, like lying to avoid hard conversations. And so just in that moment, I decided, like, the lying stops today. This is Death, Sex, and Money. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot and need to talk about more. I'm Anna Sale. A few weeks ago, we asked you to tell us about the hardest conversations you've ever had. I heard your request for submissions about hard conversations, and instantly this memory came to mind, and my heart started pounding, and I've been staring at my phone now for like the last 30 minutes. Yeah, the difficult conversation that I had um, last year was with a client of mine um, just before he was executed. As a man, especially uh, in his early 20s, one of the toughest conversations I had to have was admitting that I was uh, raped in college. 
explaining to her why mommy and daddy are not gonna live together anymore. Uh, telling dentist about my bulimia and why my teeth are so jacked up. The hardest conversation I've ever had was the conversation where I came out to my parents. She cried, I cried. I called it G-Day. It was like the D-Day invasion, but a lot gayer, I guess. Quite honestly, it made me feel so relieved. I broke her heart. I felt really bad. The conversation was was way more difficult than than I than I had even expected it would be. And is one that stays with me and has been with me in my heart and head every day since. Our interviews on death, sex, and money are about big, complicated, personal things. But talking about them with me, a stranger, and an audience of mostly anonymous listeners is really different than talking about hard things with people in your own lives. That can be way scarier. I just wrote a book about having tough conversations in your personal life called Let's Talk About Hard Things. And when I was writing it and talking with people about the hard conversations they've had, what I heard over and over was that they feel high stakes because these conversations often spark a change. A hard conversation might change your relationship or the situation. It might just shift something within you. But there's a definite before the conversation and after the conversation. And that's probably why talking about hard things in your own life can be really hard to psych yourself up for. You know, the thought of talking about it and um, having that discussion that will eventually come soon one day still gives me a lot of anxiety. This is a listener who's asked that we call her Palmer. She hasn't yet had the hard conversation that she knows she needs to have. I have a very, very, very close-knit, high-performing immigrant family. And so um, certain things just, you know, would never be expected. So basically the difficult conversation that I, I will have at some point soon is that um, the person that I love and and madly in love with um, is currently incarcerated. Palmer's family comes from Jamaica and England. She met her boyfriend through her best friend, who is also dating a man who is in prison. He and her boyfriend are both set to be released later this year. I'm very well aware of his crime. Um, I have no issues with his crime, except for it was literally just a dumb choice that he made. He was the driver of a, I guess you could call it a getaway car, and the person he was with had robbed the bank. Um, The loss was only $3,000. That money has been paid back. I think he's more than paid his debt to society, literally just made a dumb mistake. And as a Black male in America, you have very little space to make a dumb mistake. Um, I've always been really pro-prison reform, even before I ever met him. And so that's why I'm kind of like mad at myself for still feeling so nervous about having this conversation with my family eventually one day. He is a wonderful person. He's made me happier than I've ever been. So... I don't know. I need to get myself together, though. I need to stop being so worried about what other people think and, you know, if they think that I've lost my marbles. Our listener, Mike, 
sent in a voice memo about a series of hard conversations he had with his family starting 12 years ago. I was sexually abused uh, for a long time um, by my brother. And, you know, I had talked to my brother about it. We had had a conversation about, um, you know, closure and, and I forgave him and he apologized. And, you know, we went into the depths of it. It was, it was a very challenging conversation. And um, I, I saw it as the reason why our, you know, my mom, my brother and I were just not gelling. Mike was in therapy. And he resolved to talk to his mom about the abuse he'd experienced as a kid. But that same year, his brother died by suicide. And the people around me who who were my support system, who were going to be there for me, you know, when I had this conversation with my mom, kind of pressuring me and saying, you know, you should not tell her now. It's too late. You missed your opportunity. You know, he's dead now. What is it going to do for her? You know, obviously, my mom was devastated by the loss of my brother And I kind of packed it away. And about five or six years later, I did finally have that conversation with my mom. And we, you know, it was a long conversation. But in the end, I feel like it has brought us closer together. And, you know, when a person dies um, in our culture, we tend to like absolve them of the mistakes they made when they were alive, you know, like, Suddenly he was, you know, you know, this poor angel, you know, it was un, unfathomable to, to say anything negative, you know, because we don't speak ill of the dead. And I think it normalized that, that sort of angelic innocence for my mom. I think it brought her off of that pedestal. And I think she started to, or I know she started to move away from this, this perfectionistic view of, of my brother's spirit. Hard conversations often reveal hard truths, ones that can be really difficult to incorporate into your reality, especially when those hard truths are about you. One of my best friends from college lost her dad junior year. Her dad died, and I was abroad at the time, and she was on campus, and... It was in the fall, uh, the fall semester, and then I came back in the spring and sort of didn't acknowledge the death of her dad, at least not in the way that she needed at all, but I was oblivious and kind of just tried to make her happy and didn't at all acknowledge that she was, you know, grieving constantly. um, Anyway, I didn't realize that I was doing anything wrong until she sat me down and initiated a conversation that was sort of along the lines of, you're not being here for me in the way that I need you to be, and I would much rather you talk to me about the death of my dad and ask me what I'm going through, and that is the more caring route than just not asking. And. Um, that was one of the hardest conversations I've ever had because it, I just felt such intense guilt, but also she was able to frame it in a way that was very blunt and very direct. And it was cool to see her be able to do that and just say so clearly and directly, this is what I need, you're not giving it to me. 
Of course, sometimes very direct and clear conversations with friends don't go so well. Like for this listener, Candace. I've been very lucky to have a set of female friends that I met in high school, and there were a total of six girlfriends that we have stayed friends from 15 until now we're in our mid-40s. But in recent years, Candace noticed that her friendship with one of these women seemed to be waning. She just didn't feel as close with her anymore, so she decided to talk with her about it. Just to acknowledge that our relationship had changed and that was okay. So I could feel comfortable leaving her off of the group text messages of things that were a little more personal. Um, we ended the conversation quite well. It was loving. Um, but then the next day, she sent a message to a video message to the group saying how fake I was and how she was happy that uh, she didn't have to deal with me anymore. And it was very hurtful uh, because I was attempting to be very intentional in the way that we discuss things, but it's a difficult conversation that still bothers me two to three years later because we have models to break up with romantic relationships. We even have some models on how to have some space uh, in between maybe some toxic family members, but I don't feel like I really have a model on how to break up with a longtime friend. After the break, more hard conversations with friends, kids, and a woman one listener's ex-husband cheated with. We met at a bar, and I remember very calmly, I'm still proud of how I handled it, but stated, you know, first and foremost, it was my ex-husband's responsibility not to have an affair, obviously, but after that, the um, blame really rested also at her feet. If you missed my conversation with musician and writer Michelle Zahner last week about finding joy in the aftermath of taking care of her mom as she died from cancer, I'd really recommend giving the episode a listen. After we put it out, we heard from our listener Christy in Milwaukee. Something that really spoke to me in that episode is when she was talking about not wanting to learn anything from death. Christy's son died 14 years ago from cancer. I felt really guilty and still feel guilty that I didn't learn anything from his death. I didn't become a better person, a more patient mother, uh, seize the moment kind of person. Those are things I'm working towards, but his death didn't spur me into being a better person, which I always felt a little shameful about. So I really appreciated Michelle talking about that. Like, no, this is terrible. This is horrible. I don't need to learn anything from this. Thank you, Christy, for writing in. And if you have any reactions or story ideas that you'd like to share with us, you can reach us anytime at deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. On the next episode, we meet an 18-year-old high school senior who's about to graduate and leave home and manage his physical disability on his own for the first time. I will have to figure this out for myself. And either if I hurt myself, I don't hurt myself. It's up to me to really figure out because I'm at, I feel like I'm at the age where I just, I want to 
explore things, you know, just check out how far I can really go, you know. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. Hard conversations, even those that happened decades ago, really stay with you. This listener, Mary Beth, told us about her hardest conversation, which happened almost 30 years ago in 1993. The hardest conversation I've ever had um, took place with a four-year-old and a one-year-old. My husband passed away um, from cancer at 9.30 at night on a Saturday. And in the morning, I had to... um, I was awake with with the kids and I'm alone and um and told them and it was it was tough it was very hard um the you know my 1-year-old daughter she didn't know what was going on and didn't know why I was crying and my son definitely did and um you know that was just a tough day it's been um 28 years since that time, and um, and I still remember it like it was yesterday. I feel like maybe it's assumed with being young that you haven't had many hard conversations. This listener, Sam, wrote in from Seattle. He's 20 now, and his hardest conversation happened when he was 13. My mom and dad sat my brother and I down, and I kind of thought maybe they were going to get divorced just because there had been a lot of tension with their marriage. Um, and my, I mean, my mom, she was just crying more than I have ever seen her cry. So it became pretty clear that it probably wasn't divorce, but something really, really serious was going on. And that's when I found out that my dad was diagnosed with Huntington's disease. Um, which is a disease that affects your movements, your cognitive ability. It's essentially the cells in your brain are deteriorating and you basically change into an entirely different person. Um, And I don't think I really thought it was that hard of a conversation at the time. Um, But, you know, now, like, Seven, six or seven years later, um, it's, you know, my dad is now in an adult family home. I don't really recognize him at all. He's entirely different. I, I don't even always feel like I have a father, which has been interesting. Um, also because I transitioned in high school. Um, so... You know, at this time, I was dealing with lots of issues with my gender and sexuality. And then when actually, you know, physically transitioning and beginning to live in the world as a man and not having a, my father to guide me, um, I feel like that, you know, I never got to have the experience of like your dad teaching you the shave for the first time, um, which I feel like I still mourn sometimes. Hi, Death, Sex, and Money. I'm calling to chime in on challenging conversations. So my ex-husband had an affair with someone he was in a master's degree program with. And it was 
devastating and um, really hard for me to let the relationship go, etc., etc. But we divorced and I moved out of state. And um, about a year after I moved, he contacted me saying that he and the woman he had had the affair with were also moving to the same state, the same city that I was living in. Um, and it really threw me for a loop. I started having kind of like tons of anxiety and nightmares about running into them. And um, especially the woman he had had the affair with seemed to have outsized power over my thoughts and just really upsetting. And so once they moved to town, I called her up and said, I'd like to talk to you. Let's meet. And to her credit, she was willing to meet me. And I was never mean. I was never rose my voice. Very, very clear. And just went on to outline how heartbroken I was and betrayed and devastated. And I remember she was actually way more nervous. She was chain smoking the whole time. This was back when you can (laughs) chain smoke in bars. And when we left, I gave her a hug outside of the bar and said, I forgive you. And It was amazing. It was like a switch had flipped and I really felt absolved of so much angst and anxiety surrounding uh, the power that she had once held in my um, emotional state. And I really think it's a testament to having that super hard conversation and both of us being willing to sit down and talk about the hard stuff and truly being able to uh, move on and not have it be such a dramatic pressure cooker then for decades and decades after. We started today's episode with a hard conversation that hasn't happened yet. And that's where we're gonna end things too. A decade ago, a listener we're calling Jen was in her early 20s and could not afford her share of the rent. I don't know what I was thinking, but I had some checks for my bank account, and I just thought, um, you know, I will write my roommate a check for my half of the rent and give it to her, and um, it would give me, you know, a little bit of time before she went to cash it and for it to clear that I could get some money to have in my account. Um, And I think that worked once or twice. And then I started giving her bad checks. And it like, I don't know. It's not like I had this thought in my mind where I was like, okay, I'm just going to give her these bad checks and like, and, and to fuck her over or whatever. Like, it wasn't like that. It was just like, I I didn't have the money. I panicked. I didn't want to have the conversation with her at that point about not being able to pay my rent properly. So I just kept giving her checks and She had a student loan, so she had a lot of money sitting in her bank account, like thousands of dollars. And it took a few months for her to notice that I had been giving her bad checks and she was getting these bounce backs. Jen's roommate kicked her out. They got into a big fight. And Jen eventually paid her back after borrowing money from a boyfriend. But Jen didn't talk with her ex-roommate for years. Uh, And then randomly, I would say about Five to eight years later, um, her and I started talking again. We sort of became friends again. It was very surface level at first where we would just sort of message each other back and forth on Instagram, send each other different memes and things like that. Um, And our relationship has now progressed since then to a point where we talk weekly with each other over text sometimes now. We even saw each other in person recently for the first time. Um, 
you know, and it's still a fairly surface level relationship. Like we live in different cities, so we don't hang out a lot, but we do talk quite a bit um, at this point. Uh, But I have never had a conversation with her about what happened between us this long time ago. Um, And she hasn't brought it up either. So I think partly because of that and partly because I'm still too afraid to have the conversation with her about it. Um, I just sort of use, use the fact that she hasn't brought it up either as an out for me to be able to just, um, continue to sweep it under the rug. But I probably think about bringing it up to her and thinking, think about the fact that I owe her an apology, um, almost every day, probably. It kind of feels nice actually just talking about it out loud right now, even though um, I'm not actually telling anyone else about it. Um, Yeah, there's a little bit of a weight lifted there. So maybe one step closer to finally having the actual hard conversation. Thank you to all of you who send in your stories about having hard conversations. And for those of you out there who know you need to have a hard conversation but have not done it yet for whatever reason, we want to hear from even more of you. We're working on an upcoming series about people who need a push to have a hard conversation and then actually do it and then report back about how it went. So if that's you, tell us about it. Send in an email or a voice memo to deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. This episode was produced by Katie Bishop. The rest of our team includes Afi Yellow-Duke, Emily Botin, Yasmin Khan, and Andrew Dunn. Our interns are Marty Harding and Christy Song. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Instagram at Anna Sale Picks, P-I-C-S. And the show is at Death, Sex, Money on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please, if you value this show and our community, please make a financial contribution to help us keep making it. Go to deathsexmoney.org slash donate to become a sustaining member. Or you can just text DSM to the number 70101. Thank you for, for giving us the space to to share these difficult conversations, you know, with you. And thank you for the work that you do to elevate these stories because they do make a difference. And I know that for all of my my network of folks who listen to Death, Sex, and Money, um, it, it does create um, almost a, a prompt or a probe for us to talk about those topics, with, you know, within our own circles. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. 